Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you, it's Saturday. It's story time with Buster. We are uh, 10 chapters deep in a book called A White Stone, written by a friend of mine, uh, Jim Corbett. Uh, where we left off in chapter 10, Tom is beginning to feel a little bit better about where he is. He's listening to the stories of Mick and Steely as they share with him how God has miraculously transformed the inner city, at least in parts, and how they're repaying their debts and how they're watching God's miraculous hand at work. And uh, Tom's very, very enthralled with it. He's uh, very taken by it because it's something that we seem to leave out today in our culture, the, the real truth of what God's Spirit can do within us if we allow him. So as we head into chapter 11, as with always, we'll start from our Father's heart. Healthy life comes from pure seed. The purest seed has fallen willingly to the ground and died. It is my Son, Jesus. I have raised him up and glorified him for all eternity. Should you not follow the example of my Son? Why do you hang on to rotting seed when I am the source of a life that is untouchable by the death and decay of this world. Hold on to those things that bring true life, not those things that are perishing. I have shown you the way, now walk in it. Do not look to the left or to the right, but only to me, for I am with you. But you must trust me and me alone. Your only safety is in the life of my Son, Jesus. That means a complete death to your ways of doing things. It will cost you everything, but it is my way for your best life. Matthew chapter 5 verse 44 says, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which spitefully use you and persecute you. Oh boy, there she goes again. Head nurse Nancy Turser said to anyone in earshot, hoping someone would volunteer to answer the blinking call light from room 1122B, She's probably on a tirade again. Do I have any brave souls willing to face the wrath of Khan? She said to her staff, almost resigned to the fact that she was really, in fairness, the only one who should answer the call. Her entire staff had borne the brunt of the indignation coming from Bed B most of the day, and and it was up to her this time. I'll be right there, she responded into the microphone. Normally, she would ask what was needed, but she and her staff knew better in this case. Personal attention and plenty of it was the only acceptable treatment for Crystal Hollingsworth. After all, she was important, and she let everyone know her daddy could buy this place if he wanted and and fire all of them. The trouble was, he probably could, and maybe even would, if his precious buttons desired it. One of the wealthiest, most prominent men in the country, maybe even the world, Brighton Hollingsworth III raised his daughter needing nothing with the possible exception of some long-overdue discipline, which most people were very willing to administer after any kind of encounter with her. Known for her fast, outrageous, and daring lifestyle by her friends and her hot-tempered, sharp-tongued vengeance by her enemies, Crystal spent her life in endless circles of parties, social events, clubs, cruises, and anything else that she would allow her to consume her father's wealth upon herself. With an enthusiasm that would make the most die-hard soccer fan proud, Crystal Hollingsworth lived her life at a burnout speed. And burnout she did. 
The alcohol, dope, sex, and especially the emptiness she felt it deep inside that had made her pursue some unseen, unattainable goal finally caught up with her. At 26 years of age, with endless possibilities available at her to make anything and something of her life, she tried to end it for the third time. And so here she was at Leighton Memorial Hospital, out of town and out of reach of the press so as not to slander the precious family name. Crystal Hollingsworth lay in her hospital bed in the most recent and endless string of mindless, hopeless attempts to scream aloud that she was in serious trouble within. It sure took you long enough, you useless incompetent, she said, glaring at the nurse terser. I want you to come immediately when I call you. Do you hear me? If my father ever found out how you're treating me here, he would have all of your jobs. Then what would you do with your useless lives? What is it that you need? This bed has rocks in it, and it's hotter than hell around here. I'll see what I can do about it, Nancy said patiently. Don't give me any of your patronizing bull, you son of a... I want you to do something now, or I'll make your life so miserable you'll wish you were... She stopped mid-sentence, looking toward the open door. What are you looking at, you overgrown dung heap? She yelled at the man standing there with his mouth open, unaware of his foolish gaping. I said, what the do you want? If you're going to be a jerk, go be a jerk someplace else, not here, okay? Momentarily taken aback by the foul language and the angry demeanor coming from someone so physically beautiful, Train, who had just left his buddy, Tiny, stumbled halfway into the room, almost unwillingly, as if pushed by some unseen force. You sure must be hurting bad to be acting like such a fool, Train said, before he even had time to consider his response. Just who in the do you think you are, Crystal said, enraged at this, this nothing daring to talk to her like that. I don't think I'm anybody special, but I do know who you are, he said, beginning to call silently to his father for wisdom. Are you going to give me some of that patronizing whatever about making something of myself? And if I had your beauty and money, I'd become something? Look, I've heard all that before and from people a whole lot better than you. You pile of dumb rocks. So beat it, jerk. No more junk heading my way, okay? And get out of my room before I call security. From the looks of you, you don't want anybody, especially cops, knowing where you are. Now get lost. With that, Crystal turned her back on both people to add a final note of total disdain and rejection to her comments. Who is John Lassiter? Train said, moving in the spirit. What? Crystal turned in astonishment, eyes piercing her assailant. What did you say? She demanded. Johnny Lassiter, Jesus says to you it wasn't your doing, and he has forgiven you. You, how dare you? I don't know who you are or how you found out that about that, but I'm going to have your for daring to talk to me about that. Crystal said her face now flushed with anger, screaming totally out of control and obviously off balance. Nurse, get security. I want this man arrested. You don't need to do that, Train said quietly, raising his hand toward the startled nurse. I'm leaving now. Focusing once again on Crystal, who was now livid with rage, he said, You need to know that Jesus paid the price for all of your sins, even those you won't admit to right now. He wasn't he hasn't turned his back on you, and he would like you to know it wasn't your fault, and that he forgives you and he loves you. With that, Train turned and walked down the hall, followed by loud expletives and cursing from Crystal who was now being restrained by several nurses. He simply turned and pointed in the direction of the noise as the wide-eyed security guard stormed past him. 
he decided not to say anything to them that would interrupt his quiet prayer for the woman he somehow knew he had not seen for the first and last time. For some reason, a wisp of a smile was evident on his face. A little bit of a short read there today, a little bit of a short chapter, but man, what a powerful thought. And how how cool is it that God places someone in your path at any given time? I find it very interesting today that uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 is the verse for this chapter. I, I had not read ahead, so it's been a long time since I've read this book or been a part of this book before, but I'm actually preaching a message tomorrow. Um, I'll be in Billings, Oklahoma, uh, speaking at First Christian Church there in Billings. I've been, I've been able to go and fill their pulpit a few times and uh, as a guest speaker, and I'll be going back up there tomorrow. And the message that I have prepared for them tomorrow, and I've I've dealt some time trying to sort out what to give up there, and my message for them tomorrow is give and ye shall get. I'll be recording it, so it'll go out on our podcast, but give and ye shall get, and it's in reference to some, some scripture in Luke talking about giving, but I love this, that we're to love our enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which spitefully use and persecute you. Now, I know that's a scripture. We've all heard it. We've all read it, or many of us have over our lifetime. How many times have we actually put that passage of scripture into play in our lives? Is it easy to do to love our enemies? Is it easy to do to, to, to minister to those who spitefully use us? Uh, most of the time, we'd just as soon knock our head off. I mean, you know, revenge, get even. Uh, do the things that come naturally to us in our natural spirit. But that's not what God's calling us to. And and a thought that came to my mind as I was preparing this message for tomorrow, last night, I, I, there's some scripture that, that uh, I haven't looked up, so I don't, I don't know the actual uh, markings to tell you where to go find this. But it, it refers to, it was Jesus, I believe, who was talking where it talks about, as you pray for your enemies, it's like heaping coals of fire on their head. And, and I, you know, in, in my youth, in my younger days, I, you know, I grew up in this stuff, but I had a temperament and I, you know, I, in my mind, when I would hear that scripture or I would quote that scripture in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, Lord, burn them. Don't fire on their head. Burn them jokers to the ground. I don't like them. They don't like me. Just burn them to the ground. That's not what that scripture is talking about. <laughs> when it talks about praying for your enemies and, and in doing so, it's as if you're heaping coals of fire on their head. What that means is. As we pray, we're not, we're not praying for our enemy's destruction. That, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to love our enemies, just like it said right there in Matthew 5. We're called to love our enemies and, and, and to pray for those who spitefully use us, to do good to those who try to harm us. And that's exactly what he's saying in that prayer, that, that when we pray, we're to be praying for their soul. They're lost. They're obviously lost if they're attacking one of God's. They're lost, and they need a Savior. Just just like Train said here, as he stood in that room, this woman spewed all kinds of stuff at him, but instead of him taking insult, instead of him picking up the offense that she was trying to give, he simply said, Jesus knows who you are, and, and he's, he's telling you that he forgives you. He was just speaking the word, the truth, as the Spirit gave him utterance. And that's exactly what we're to do. As we pray for our enemies— that we pray for the salvation of their soul. We pray that God intervenes in their life. We pray that God blesses them. We pray that God moves upon their heart. We pray that God draws them closer to him. 
that prayer is going to make them so stinking uncomfortable, they're not going to know which way to run. I say this all the time. When 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 I give a message, often I'll, I'll refer to the fact that I'm praying that you become so miserable that you can't do anything with your life but run to God. If you're running away from him today, I pray that over you right now. God, I ask that you would make those who hear this message, who are not living according to your word, who are not following you the way they're supposed to be following you, who are not serving you the way they're supposed to be serving you. God, I ask that you make them so miserable that they can't do anything but turn to you. There's nothing out in this world that's going to bring any peace. It's only through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So today, as we as we close out chapter 11, very short, very sweet to the point, think about what's being spoken here. That we're to pray over our enemies. We're to pray for those who spitefully use us. We're to pray for those who come against us. And in doing so, praying for their soul, praying for their salvation, praying for their eternity. Because if, if they don't find Jesus their eternity is damned. It's condemned. It's con- it's they're going to hell for eternity. I, I don't I don't want any more. This this is close to hell as I ever want to get in this world that we live in today. I want my eternity in heaven, uh, praising and, and worshiping a holy God. That's where I want to be, and that's where we all should want to be. So in your process today, thank God for what He's given you, and ask Him to help you. Not only to forgive your enemies, but to pray for them and to speak peace over them and to speak life over them. Every time you think of them, every time you find yourself at a place, forgive them. Because when we're praying for someone, we have a hard time being ugly to them. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you for for following along on our podcast, supporting us the way you do, praying for us the way you do. Ron and I love you. We're praying for you. God bless you. We'll talk to you again real soon.